Father's Day gives us a chance to honor those who stand at the, uh, the helm of the wheel and they lead their families through life's battles. And good dads, good fathers are made. They're not born. May God help you to be that kind of a dad. God help us to be glorious dads. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Well, let's take our Bibles, please, and turn to Proverbs chapter 17. Proverbs 17. I'm going to be talking mainly to husbands and dads today. We are a funny breed. In fact, when a husband says, take a break, honey... You're working too hard. What he really means is that vacuum cleaner is grounding out my ball game here, and if you turn that thing off, I could hear. <laughs> you know, when a man says, um, that's interesting, dear, what he means is, are you still talking? <laughs> when, a, when a man says, can I help with dinner, what he really means is, how come it's not ready yet? And when a man says, well, you know how bad my memory is, he means that I can remember batting averages of every ball player. I can remember the numbers, every vehicle ID number on all my, my vehicles. I can remember the two into Hogan's Heroes. But I'm sorry I forgot your birthday. That's what he means. When a man says, honey, I can't find it, what he means is it didn't fall into my outstretched hand, so I'm completely clueless. That's what he means. When a man means, honey, you look terrific. What he means is, oh, please don't try on any more outfits. We're late and I'm starving. And when a man says, I'm not lost. I know exactly where I am. What he really means is nobody will ever find us alive again. Well, it's Father's Day. And we're going to be talking today about glorious dads. Glorious dads. Here in Proverbs 17 and in verse number 6, the Bible says children's children are the crown of old men. And the glory of children are their fathers. Notice, let's read that again. Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children are their fathers. The glory of children are fathers. We're going to be talking about a glorious dad, but let's pray before we begin. Thank you, dear Lord, for the opportunity to be here today. And we thank you for your word that we can open and look into and get some help and instruction from for our families. And we do pray now that you'd have your will and your way in every home represented here today. We'll thank you for it. And we ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Got a true story about fatherhood. It took place down in Texas here uh, just a few years ago. There was a, a large family of, of several children. The kids were grown, and they all decided, along with mom and dad, to take a vacation. They were going to drive from Texas someplace up to the northeast where it would be a little cooler in the, the summertime. So they got in their uh, RV, and they had driven some ways. In fact, they were in Memphis already, and the agreement was they were going to switch off drivers and just drive through the night in order to get there uh, sooner. And so dad had taken his turn, and he pulls into a gas station, and he goes in to get something to eat, and when he comes out, the RV is gone. And he thinks, oh my soul, first it's been stolen. He goes, no, everybody's in it. He goes, somebody got in that wheel, not knowing I'm in there, and drove off. And so his cell phone's inside the RV. He runs into the gas station. He uses their phone. He calls his phone. But the ringer's off because it's the middle of the night. He didn't want to wake anybody up. So he tries his wife. Well, her ringer's off. He tries his kids, 
and their ringers are off. And he goes, what in the world am I going to do? He got a hold of the local police. They said, well, it's down the road. It's out of our jurisdiction. We can't help you. And so he, he ran into a, a nearby motel. He got on their internet, and he thought, if I Facebook him, message him, uh, they'll get a hold of me. And so he did. And he said, I'm back here at the gas station in Memphis. Come back and get me. And and, and finally, they were 100 miles down the road further when one of the kids woke up and saw the message from dad and realized they'd left him behind. Well, I don't want to leave dads behind. And so, dad, we have something especially for you here today on Father's Day. Our passage here in verse number six tells us that children's children are the crown of old men. Now, what's that talking about? Well, that's talking about grandparents, children's children, right? How many of your grandparents here today? I are one, and I absolutely love being a grandpa. They say it's, it's a reward you get for not killing your own kids, amen? But if you're a grandparent, that the Bible says here in verse 6 that children's children are the crown of old men. But it goes on. It says, and the glory of children are their fathers. The glory of children are their fathers. That word glory is an interesting word. In the Hebrew, it's tifarah. And it means ornament. If you've ever had like a Christmas tree and you put the ornaments on it, that's what glory means, tifarah. It's talking about something that beautifies. And this verse here is telling us that dads beautify their children. They're an ornament to their children. Now, as Bible-believing Christians, we have a heavenly father. And Christ mentioned him over in Matthew 6. He said, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So if you're saved, if you've been born again, you have a heavenly Father. As believers, you have this spiritual Father in heaven. This is not automatic. I've heard before you have that we're all God's children. That's not true. That's not biblical. Actually, the Bible speaks of children of the world. The Bible even speaks of children of the devil. No, you become a child of God when you are born again spiritually into his family. And that's what Christ called it. He said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so the physical birth makes you a, a child of the world, but the spiritual birth makes you a child of God. You must be born again. Have you had a time when you were born again? You say, well, I've always been a Christian. No such thing as somebody who's always been a Christian. Well, I've always believed. No such thing as somebody who's always believed. You had a time physically when you became a child and you were born physically in the same way. When it was it that you heard the gospel, you realized you were lost, you realized why Christ died on that cross to save you, why he shed that blood, and in repentance, you changed your mind about your sin. And in faith, you looked to Christ as the only door to heaven. And his sacrifice and his blood shed on that cross is the only thing that you were trusting in. And you called upon him and you were born again. You say, well, pastor, I'm a good person. Are you really? God's placed a good person test in the Bible. And it's called the Ten Commandments. And the first one says, don't put anything ahead of God. Have you ever put anything ahead of God? Certainly you have be it money or a relationship or even a car or a job or a career or a degree. We make idols of a lot of things, don't we? How about uh, taking the Lord's name in vain? You ever done that? Have you ever dishonored your parents? Have you ever coveted after something you didn't have? Have you ever lusted after the opposite sex? Have you ever been bitter or mad towards somebody? Fact of the matter is you've broken perhaps all of them, if not most of them, and you fail the good person test. You're doing a bad job of earning your way to heaven, 
But that's okay because you don't earn your way to heaven. The Bible says it's by grace that you're saved, through faith. It's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. And once you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can know for sure you have been born again and have been released from the bondage of sin and become a child of God. You know, we read this in Romans 8. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. You have a heavenly Father now. You know, of all the relationships they have studied, folks, and of all the relationships they have found that you have in life, the first impression and the greatest impression that a person gets of God is their father, their earthly dad. In fact, they did a study of influential relationships, or influential atheists, I should say. And these are atheists that, if you want to call them top ten atheists, of all different backgrounds and different times and countries and so on. And they have found that of the top ten most influential atheists, that they all had one thing in common, and that is a defective relationship with their dad. Isn't that interesting? They all had this in common. Sigmund Freud had a dad who was a sexual pervert. Thomas Hobbes, he had a dad who was an Anglican priest who left the ministry, he went AWOL and he quit, and he quit on God, he quit on his family, he left his wife. You know, there are a number of other atheists and they found as they studied them that a number of their dads stepped out on their, their, their wives and that will mess up a kid, beloved. And then there was Voltaire, the famous atheist. His dad was mean and continually picked on him. There was Schopenhauer, who, whose dad committed suicide when he was 16. There was Nietzsche, who lost his dad at age four. There was Thomas Hume, lost his dad at an early childhood. And then there was Hitler's dad. Hitler's dad was, was nasty. He, he continually beat him, beat his siblings, beat his mother, beat the dog, beat everything. He had a huge anger problem. And he died when Adolf was 13, and it was good riddance. Then there was Stalin, and Stalin went down in history, an infamous man for killing millions, and probably one of the, the greatest murderers of the 20th century. He had a horribly abusive father who was a, a belligerent drunk, and we could talk about a number, but they were all related to their dad in some way. And so how important are fathers? Does a dad matter? in the lives of a young person. Well, God has set up a, a system, if we could call it that, where a husband and wife come together and they, they raise children. That's called a family. That's a biblical family. Man has tried to redefine that. You cannot redefine that. God has, has sanctioned that. That is God's idea. And my wife and I have a family, and we are not perfect, but our children have always known that we are a family unit. And that brings stability to their lives. That brings security to their lives. There are a lot of couples today that are into themselves and meism and me time and pursuing their own happiness. And it's, it's so selfish and our society is tanking because of this. You know that Cornell University did a study that showed uh, that fathers of preschool children on the average spend about 37 seconds a day with their child in contact with their youngster. And, you, and the same study contrasted that to the average child at that age watching TV for approximately 54 hours a week. How do you overcome that disparity? You know, there was one startling bit of research conducted by the, the Christian Businessmen's Committee, and it found the following. It found that <clears throat> when the father is an active believer, a Christian, there's about a 75% likelihood that that child 
will also become an active believer. But if only the mother is a believer, it's dramatically reduced to 15%. Folks, we need some glorious dads. So let's talk about this dad that we find Solomon describing here in the Proverbs. He says he's the glory of his children. This glorious dad, first of all, loves his children. He loves his children like God loves us as his children. Now, if you are a child of God, God loves you. And, and there's this uncalculated, unestimable love that God has for you. And it's, it's described over in Romans 8. It says, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from this love God has for us. You know, the very first glimpse that we receive of God in the Bible with man, we find him as a seeker. We know that Adam and Eve had sinned and they had hidden themselves from God. God comes along seeking them. And he says, Adam, where art thou? There was a Bible college professor who was teaching on that passage and had a group of young men there in the room and was trying to, to drive home to their hearts what kind of a God we have. And he went one by one down the rows and, and said, how do you think God said this? Adam, where art thou? And one guy said, Adam, where art thou? Another one said, Adam, where art thou? And uh, one by one, they had this this uh, kind of attacking, nasty kind of a voice. And, and the, the preacher said, no, you need to read this as if God were a broken-hearted father looking for a lost child. Adam, where art thou? God went seeking us from the very get-go. We were lost and estranged from him. And we read this in 1 John 4 and verse number 19 that we love him because he first loved us. We only love him because he first loved us. Did you know God loves you? You say, well, how can I know that? Well, God's proved it. We read in Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth or proved or demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God proved his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know what? He didn't wait for us to meet his expectations. He, he, he didn't make us uh, wait until we had made him proud of something we had done. He didn't, he didn't wait until we'd measured up to his standard. The, the verse says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He first loved us. And so he loved us completely, unconditionally. Now, let me just say it might anger God when we disobey him. And it might sadden him when we stray from him. But the bottom line is, he still loves us, and he always will love us. You know, let me say this. As a dad, we need to love our children. Dad, do you love your children? God loves his children. We should love our children. Mom, Dad, I hope you enjoy your children. I hope you're enjoying the years that you have raising your children. I'll guarantee you, you blink twice, and your kids will be grown up and gone. I so enjoy my family, and they're grown up. I so enjoy my grandkids. I would rather be with them than anyone else. I would rather be with them than anywhere else. Last Sunday night, in fact, and this had been a while since it had happened, but I found myself over at Culver's and certain, certain of the kids were able to make it after the Sunday night service, certain, certain weren't, uh, were not able. And, and so we're in the Culver's and I realized it's my wife 
it's my oldest daughter, it's my middle daughter, it's my youngest daughter, and I'm the only guy there. And I got my picture out, and I, I took a picture of this. I said, look, it's been a long time since uh, Dad's been surrounded by his gals here. But I love being with my family. We had our, our uh, grandkids, all four of our grandkids, yesterday with us out at the farm. I'm telling you, it was kitty heaven. There's no place I'd rather be than with family. You know what the Bible says? Low children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. You know that word heritage there, it means heirloom. Children are an heirloom. Children are a valuable inheritance. That's what it means. Children are a valuable possession. It's kind of like a, a blessing from God or a reward from God. Children are an heritage of the Lord. I hope you treat your kids like they're an heritage of the Lord and make that clear to them that they're special, that you're glad that they're, they're, they're yours. You know that studies have shown that when a, a dad spends time with his kids, especially his daughters, they will be less anxious, they will be more secure, they will be more at peace, they will be able to deal better with frustrations. Dads who spend time with their, their children, especially their daughters, help their kids to overcome setbacks, become more determined, be more compassionate, get higher grades, be more sociable and easier to get along with. And so we find out that, first of all, a glorious dad loves his children. Secondly, a glorious dad encourages his children, encourages his children. There was a little girl who was walking home late on a dreary, dark night with her father. And as they trudged through the, the darkness, she said, Papa, take my hand. Your hand's so much bigger than mine, I can only take in a portion of yours, but you can take all of mine. And they walked on with uh, hands holding, and, and later on she said, Papa, are you afraid? And he said, no, nope, I'm not afraid, honey. And she calmed down, she said, all right, if you're not, I'm not. And the truth is, parents need to encourage their kids. Life can be scary, especially to a child. We all need encouragement. But a child especially needs encouragement. You know, we find even great characters of the Bible who need an encouragement, like Job. We find that Job got so discouraged, he cursed the day that he was born. We find that Jonah got so discouraged that he wanted to die. We find Jeremiah gets so discouraged that he, he vowed never to preach again and quit the ministry. We find John the Baptist, the greatest of those born of women who got so discouraged he doubted their languishing in prison that Christ was even the promised Messiah. Children can certainly get discouraged. And dad, an encouraging father, can really make a big difference. You know, there's a been a lot of talk as of late about electric cars, if you're following the news what's, whatsoever. And uh, I was at this uh, kind of a car antique place here last summer, and this guy showed me an antique car that he had, and it was an electric car. And I thought, that's strange, an electric antique car. He said, no, that's not strange at all. Actually, back in the day, they thought 
all cars were going to be electric. It was Henry Ford who said, no, the gas car is going to be a whole lot better at this time. And, and Henry Ford was really ridiculed for this. He took a lot of heat for this. And he happened to be at this banquet with a lot of other uh, well-known, important men. And he was at this table, and there was a group of fellas who was asking him about his gas-powered car. And so he was explaining it to him, and he noticed out of the corner of his eye Thomas Edison sitting a few men down who was tuned in, listening. And finally, Edison scooted his chair over, and he said, uh, young man, he said, can you draw me a picture of this motor in this car? And Henry Ford said, well, sure. And he began drawing what this car would look like. And, and all of a sudden, uh, Edison thumped his fist on the table, and he said, young man, he said, you've got it there. Go with that. And later on, Ford said, it was that thump of that fist on that table that meant the world to me and encouraged me and made a difference in me going forward with my gas-powered car. You know, we all know discouragement. And we all know the feelings of sadness, don't we? And we all know the feelings of guilt and being under a cloud and how that can plunge us into despair. And we have a Heavenly Father that knows that. He knows our despair, he knows our weakness, and he understands. And we read this in Isaiah 41, For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. We have a God who says, Fear not, and who encourages us. You know, when God called Moses to go uh, take the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, I count no less than five times that Moses tried to get out of it. And it was God encouraging him to go forward with it that made a difference. His presence and his assistance. That same God encouraged Joshua to take those children of Israel over into the promised land and to conquer the Canaanites. And we find that God said, Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. We have a heavenly Father, beloved, who encourages us. I find over in the New Testament when the Apostle Paul was thrown into jail and, and told you're going to stand trial in Rome, evidently he was discouraged. And we read this in Acts 23, and the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. We find that God will show up, he'll appear, and he'll encourage his children. He'll say, you know what? With my help, you can do this. I find Gideon back there in the Old Testament, who God calls him to do something great, and <clears throat> Gideon tries to get out of it, and God says, you're a mighty man of valor. And this is before he had fought any battle. In fact, this is when he was being a chicken at the time, and God saw the potential there, and he encouraged him. Dad, Mom, do you encourage your kids? You know, sadly, so much conversation between parents and kids is laced with, with criticism, more criticism and, and critiquing than encouragement. God help us to encourage our kids. You know, the Bible says to let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And friend, that hearer might be very young. That hearer might be your child, your son, or your daughter. And we're told to let no corrupt communication proceed out of our mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. And I know there's a time to rebuke. I know there's a time to correct. But we do so much of that. God help us to temper that and balance that with some other words. You know, let me give you a few effective words of encouragement that might be wise for you as a parent 
to use from time to time to encourage your son or your daughter. You could say, for example, that's okay, you know what? Everybody makes mistakes. You could say, you know what? We learn by our mistakes. Uh, you could say, you know, uh, honey, everything's difficult at first. You could say, you know, don't give up. Try it a few times anyway, and, and I bet it'll get easier for you. Or, or we could say, I know you can do it. Just try it again. Or you could say, you know, this time you almost did it. Try it again. Or you're doing better every time. You could uh, say, you know what, I'm proud of you. Uh, I, I know it's difficult, and, and you're doing your best. Uh, you're doing a great job. That's, that's something that uh, I think that you can do by God's help. Or you could say, you know what, tell me. That's interesting. Tell me more about that. But, but let me just say this to you. Listen, kids aren't perfect. They're going to make mistakes, and they could use more encouragement than they get. Kids aren't perfect because we're not perfect. They inherited our Adamic nature. And, you know, <clears throat> your kids, by the way, don't even need to turn out like you and fulfill your dreams that you have for them. They need to do what God has placed them on planet Earth to do here. I know some parents, and uh, they're just reluctant about their, their son being this great athlete when really it's not the son's dream or drive at all. It's dad's. I know some dads, and they want their kids to be this uh, great businessman. That might not be God's will for them. I know some dads that want their kid to have their own business. That might, might not be God's will for them. Uh, you know, there are some parents, and they want their kids to go into the military. Well, that's your dream for them, but that might not be God's dream for them. God has a unique plan. God has his will. You know, it's fine if my kids follow me into the ministry. It's fine if they don't. I want what God wants for them, plain and simple. Whatever God's calling is, is fine. A glorious dad, one, loves his children, two, encourages his children, thirdly, disciplines his children. A glorious dad will take the time, just like our wonderful Heavenly Father, to discipline His children. My uh, granddaughter yesterday was not obeying right away, and I had to say no to her. It's one of the first times I had to say it, and it just crushed her. She'd be, and, and, and the beginning of discipline, the process begins here. Now, I don't expect perfect kids. I don't expect perfect grandkids. We're not perfect. And, and there are some adults I find over the years as a pastor who have this expectation of children that's higher than even adults. But the bottom line is we do need some rules and those rules should be reasonable and uh, able to explain. And when they violate those rules, they need to be disciplined and that discipline needs to be consistent. You know, the Bible says this in Hebrews 12. We have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence, shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits? Now, who's these fathers of our flesh the Bible's talking about here? What's your dad? The father of your flesh, the one who begat you, your dad. And the Bible says we've had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. I had one. I hope you had one. I have been one. The Bible says, and we gave them reverence. In other words, we, okay, we obey. We submit it. Well, it goes on and it says, shall we not, notice these words, much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits. We have a heavenly Father who disciplines us. You know, God is good. And, and he, is a, he is a loving Father and He disciplines His children. And He doesn't discipline, discipline us in spite of His goodness. He disciplines us because of His goodness. 
He does not discipline us in spite of his love. He disciplines us because of his love. The Bible says this in the Old Testament. <coughs> Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. There is this comparison found all over the Bible. We have a heavenly father who loves us, loves us enough to take us to the woodshed, as it were, and discipline us. And if we're going to be good dads, we're going to be good earthly fathers, we need to be willing to do the same with our children. You know, the proverb says, for whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a son, the father, in whom he delighteth. I wanted my kids to turn out. And so I disciplined him. And the father who disciplines his children wisely is reflecting the character of God. That is the mirror image there. We read in Hebrews 12, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Good question. If we love our kids... We will spend that time disciplining them. And so we find that a glorious dad loves his children. He encourages his children. He disciplines his children. And finally, he sacrifices for his children. William Dixon lived in, 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 in Brackenwaith, England many years ago. And he was a widower. He had uh, lost his only son. And one day he saw the house of his neighbor ablaze with a fire and, and uh, the uh, aged owner of the house was rescued, but her orphan grandson was still inside of that house. And, of course, the grandmother is hysteric, uh, waiting for somebody to go into that blazing house and, and uh, try and rescue her grandson. Well, you couldn't enter the house from the inside. And, and so William Dixon climbed that house, holding on to a steel gutter on the outside that was blazing hot at the time, but he, he, he muscled through it. He got into the house. He rescued the, the boy holding on to that pipe, and he brought him out to safety, but his hands were badly burned in that process. And, and it wasn't too shortly after that the grandmother died, and the townspeople wondered, who would care for this boy? And so the townspeople got together, as they did at that time, and, and they decided, we need to make a decision here. There's no, nobody to make this call but us. And, and there were two men that came forward to claim that boy. And one was a father who had lost his son, and he, he wanted to adopt this orphan as his own. And so he gave his reason why. The other man who stepped forward was William Dixon. And it was his turn to speak, but instead of saying a word, he just he held up his hands, the scarred hands, and those hands said it all, and the vote was taken, and the boy was given to him because of his sacrifice. May I say that a glorious dad sacrifices for his children. And I'm telling you, it's not for the faint of heart to be a dad in this day and age. It's one thing to father a child. It's another to raise a child. It's going to require a lot of sacrifice. It's going to require a lot of responsibility. And folks, that's what fatherhood is. It's owning up to our responsibility. That responsibility involves a lot of things. It involves, first of all, training. The Bible speaks of training up a child in the way he should go. And you know, kids are a blank sheet of paper, and they need training. We assume they know better, and in many cases, they don't. I have a daughter that took a, a butcher knife to our counter and, and hacked it up when she was a little kid. And I thought to myself, doesn't she know better than that? Apparently not. We assume they do. 
But that's the reason we put rules in place and we put boundaries in place and we tell them there are consequences if you violate these boundaries because children need that training. You know, we find this command in Ephesians 6. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That verse screams, train them. Bring them up in the nurture. Notice especially the admonition of the Lord. Train them to respect God. By the way, that starts with them respecting you. They know you first, and then that transfer of respect can be passed on. And they will respect you if you earn their respect. You know, I know of some parents who demand respect. And quite honestly, I know in their case, they would be hard to respect. Respect is something you should earn by loving them, by being consistent, by being responsible, and bringing them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You know, one day that, that baton is going to be passed on. And, and your kids one day will grow out of following you, but they will never grow out of following God. And so train them for a life without you, because that day is coming. You know, I think it was two weeks ago um, today, it was a Sunday evening, we got done with the church service, and my wife and I drove home together. My youngest daughter, who's getting married later this week, <laughs> um, drove home on her own with her car after spending some time with her friends. And anyway, um, she came in the house, and I said, Gracie, less than three weeks at the time. And, and, and then I, I started to say, Gracie's moving out. Gracie's moving out. I started doing a little jig with it. Gracie's moving out. I was just goofing around. And uh, she, she giggled at first, and then she welled up with tears. And I realized, you know what, um, this is not going to be easy for her, and it's certainly not going to be easy for me. And maybe why well, I was kidding about it. But for 20-some uh, years, we have trained her for life without us, for life without me. That eventually happens to all kids who leave the home. You will not always be there, Mom. You will not always be there, Dad. My mom and dad are no longer here. Now, they're here in my heart, and they always will be. But they're no longer here on planet Earth. That is inevitable. You blink twice, and your kids will be grown up and gone. I took a picture yesterday of, of our little granddaughter walking down the driveway with her grandma. And it was such a precious picture. It's such a short time that we have them. We hold their hands for a short time. But they hold our hearts forever. And my mom and dad still hold my heart. And I can still hear my mom saying, honey, talking to me. They prepared me for life, but that took some sacrifice. They made a lot of sacrifices. And it's not just what they said. It was what they did. Folks, it's what we do. Oh, what we say is important, but truth is better caught than taught. And my folks years ago taught me to make some good choices. And the end of this week, the last of our five children will leave the, the nest, and our daughter will uh, establish a new home with a fine young man. And, and let me just say, she has been shown the way. I can't make her take that way, but I can model that way. She's been shown that way. I can't make my kids choose Jesus Christ, and neither can you. I chose Jesus Christ, and they know for sure God has made that choice. And they also know that dad is not perfect. Dad's made that choice for Christ, and I have not been perfect along the way, but they have seen a devotion to the Savior who loved me and bled for me and died for me and, and, and a faith that's not just a Sunday thing, and they've seen that. 
They've observed that. I cannot make my kids get saved. I can only get saved and live Christ in front of them. You know, I, I, I can't keep my kids from ever backsliding or detouring or compromising or, or going new evangelical like so many other young kids today here. But they know I've made my choice. And I have made my choice. And if you're a parent, and if your kid deviates from the faith, continue to live the life. Don't go with them. Don't compromise with them. May I say to you, I, I'm thinking of a, of a preacher who's going to be preaching in this pulpit later this week who was a youth director for years. And he saw a lot of kids go out into the world and mom and dad compromise in the process and lower the bar at the same time and stop pursuing God because Junior or Junioretta had stopped pursuing God. Mom, Dad, don't you ever stop pursuing God no matter what because if that kid gets right, when that kid gets right, they need something stable to come back to. They need a home that has not dipped the banner. They need an example to follow. You can't make them do right, but you can do right no matter what and they can't get away from that. And if they uh, decide to follow you, may they end up at the foot of the cross of Christ. You know how Paul put it? Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Paul was able to say that. You know, when I got saved over 40 years ago, I set a direction in my life. I've never detoured from that. I've seen too many mom and dads turn aside off the old path and, and, and just detour from that. But... You know what? If, if my kids are following me, where are they going to end up? And you're at different stages in raising your kids. I understand that. I'm going to be the, the uh, empty nester for the first time in 36 years by the end of this week. But I never will stop being a parent. And if you're a parent, neither will you. Our Christian homes need some glorious dads. What's it mean to be the head of the home? You say, well, it means to be the, the smartest. No, it might not necessarily mean that. Oh, it means I've got the best ideas. No, it might not mean that at all. What it means is that you're going to take responsibility for the kids, for the bills, especially for the spiritual end of things. You'll be praying for your kids. And by the way, you'll be praying for yourself that you might have some wisdom in raising your kids because I'm telling you, it's an impossible endeavor without God's help. You know, I'd never raised kids before. And, and even after a few, you go, well, you got the hang of it now. No, they're all different. Just when you got the hang of it, one comes along that's totally different from the rest. We need divine help. And there are hundreds of times, thousands of times, that I've asked God for help. You know, we read this in 1 Chronicles 16. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face continually. If you're a parent here today, do that. Seek His strength. Seek His help. Your kids have a supernatural enemy. Never forget that. You know, we think quite often, well, the devil's really on my back. Guess what? He's after your kids as well. Through bad influences, through bad vices, through uh, music that causes rebellion. You know what? You cannot always be with your kids. You cannot always take them with you wherever you're going. But God's there. And God can make a difference. Well, let me just say this. When a, when a man begets a child... That child is in his own likeness and is a part of you forever. Gentlemen, your daughter, if you have a daughter, will probably marry someone like you. Someone like you in some way. My, uh, my sons-in-laws are all handsome. I don't, I'm not implying anything, but <laughs> no, just kidding. 
But in other ways, um, they, they will find somebody that's like you in character, somebody who has the same work ethic as you, somebody may, who, uh, may be fun like you, but, but, but most of all, I hope they seek out someone who loves the Lord like you. Dad, may it be said of you, you love God and your kids know it. Father's Day gives us a chance to honor those who stand at the, um, the helm of the wheel and they lead their families through life's battles. And good dads, good fathers are made. They're not born. May God help you to be that kind of a dad. I'll close with this poem. A dad is a mender of toys, a leader of boys. He's a changer of fuses, a healer of bruises. He's a mover of couches, a soother of ouches. He's a pounder of nails, a teller of tales. He's a dryer of dishes, a fulfiller of wishes. Bless him, O Lord. Bless him, O Lord. God help us to be glorious dads. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Puppet Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.